The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. On the last podcast, we talked about everything that was going on with the World Health Organization, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, and how they all had ulterior motives, other agendas, other affiliations with people who are always, uh, always kind of enemies of the Trump administration and what links they would go to to sabotage the Trump administration. Well, goes to show that they'll take something like a pandemic, something like a virus that was coming our way and exploit the crap out of it. The governors shut down all the states. So they've weaponized federalism against the federal government. They basically put us, like I said on the last podcast, in a constructed convention of states uh, medically or medical secession. They seceded from the union medically. They shut down their economies and they can't print money. All right. So who's responsible for helping these businesses stay afloat? I, I saw this idiot on Twitter. Let's see if I can pull it up, but he was making the case. Oh, remember this? Remember in the state of the union where Donald Trump said he had, Oh, here it is. Uh, this guy is Glenn Kessler, editor, chief writer of the Washington Post, fact checker, revealing the truth behind the rhetoric. Yeah, listen to what he says. Line from Trump's State of the Union address that did not age well. Incredibly, the average unemployment rate under my administration is lower than the administration in any history of our country. Um, you know what? No other economy under any other president was forced to shut down by states. All right. Let's not forget the timeline here. The timeline was the virus breaks out. China, we see videos of it. It looks crazy. They're welding people in their homes. Next thing you know, we've got like we played on the last podcast, everybody talking about yeah, it's no big deal. Not a big deal. It's not coming here. Nothing to worry about. Even the guy who's up there making our public policy from the podium in the news conferences, Dr. Fauci. Ah, no biggie. All of a sudden, it starts showing up here. Which, oddly enough, there was a situation back in January. I don't know if the two are linked. But there was a situation back in January with a gentleman by the name of Charles Lieber, I believe. A professor from... Uh, from Harvard, believe it or not. What's interesting about this professor was he was busted working with the Chinese. Yeah. They discovered a man who manufactured and sold certain bioweapon material to, uh, or certain uh, chemis- chemistry things, <laughs> to say the least, but in layman's terms, Dr. Charles Lieber, head of the chemistry and biology department at Harvard University. And he was arrested back in January. Listen to this news clip. We're here today to announce three separate cases highlighting the ongoing threat posed by Chinese economic espionage and research theft in the United States. 
Federal investigators at the Lexington home of 60-year-old Dr. Charles Lieber today, moments after his arrest at his Harvard office. The complaint alleges that Dr. Lieber signed a contract with the Chinese University in Wuhan and was paid up to $50,000 per month, plus up to $158,000 in living expenses. The chair of Harvard's chemistry department, he also allegedly received more than $1.5 million to set up a research lab in China, all while working at Harvard and receiving multiple research grants from the U.S. Department of Defense and National Institutes of Health. Also charged today, two Chinese nationals, 29-year-old Yang King Yi, who worked as a scientific researcher at Boston University. Who failed to mention on her visa application that she is also a lieutenant with the People's Liberation Army. 30-year-old Zhao Zong Zhang worked on cancer research at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. For trying to smuggle vials of biological material out of the United States to China and lying about it to federal investigators. Now, Lieber is due back in court Thursday. He's currently behind bars. He could face up to five years in prison if convicted. And Harvard does tell me he's currently on paid administrative leave. Meantime, Harvard, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, and BU are all cooperating with authorities. Reporting live in South Boston, Nicole Burley, WCVB News Center 5. How are we to know that while whatever was happening in China was happening in China, how are we to know that they didn't just bring that in? I don't know. I mean... You know, it's hard to say. There's been news stories where there was an actual uh, a, a piece of luggage was found. This is from Yahoo News. Suspected SARS virus and flu sim- samples found in luggage. FBI reports China's biosecurity risk. This was back in uh, March 30th. In late November 2018, just over a year before the first coronavirus case was identified in Wuhan, China, U.S. Customs and Border Protection agents at Detroit Metro Airport stopped a Chinese biologist with three vials labeled antibodies in his luggage. <laughs> just, he ain't rolling in with some meth. He ain't rolling in with some blow. He's rolling in with antibodies. The biologist told the agents that the colleague in China had asked him to deliver the vials to a researcher at a U.S. institute. After examining the vials, however, custom agents came to an alarming conclusion. Inspection of the writing on the vials and the stated recipient led inspection personnel to believe the materials contained within the vials may be viable Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, and Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, SARS, says an unclassified FBI tactical intelligence report obtained by Yahoo News. The report, written by the Chemical and Biological Intelligence Unit of the, of the FBI's Weapons of Mass Destruction Directorate, does not give the name of the Chinese scientist carrying the suspected SARS and MERS samples or the intended recipient in the United States. But the FBI concluded that the incident and two, others, uh, two other cases cited in the report were part of an alarming pattern. Yeah, alarming to say the least. We're dealing with it right now. But... You know, never let a crisis go to waste. It's not like the left didn't jump all over the fact that this was happening. So let's look at the timeline of the World Health Organization. Back in December 31st, this is before this Charles Lieber was busted at at Harvard. Taiwan public officials warned WHO 
of potential human-to-human transmission of the new coronavirus. Now, remember, China doesn't recognize Taiwan. China thinks Taiwan is a part of their country. And the World Health Organization, like we played on the last podcast, would not even mention the name Taiwan. He would either say, let's go on to a different question, or he would just ignore it and say, refer to it as China, or just hang up. January 14th, World Health Organization helps PRCs cover uh, the cover-up of the rapidly spreading pandemic by denying human-to-human transmission. And the uh, tweet is still up. It says, preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the no- uh, novel coronavirus identified in Wuhan, China. Yeah, that was January 14, 2020. January 29th, World Health Organization. Bruce Eilard lavishes praise on PRC's belated but draconian response saying that Xi Jinping helped prevent the spread of the virus to other countries. They refused to declare a public health emergency since it hadn't spread to other countries. (laughs) Well, read this short article to understand how the WHO is currently catering to PRC's demands to not only deny Taiwan official membership, but to even ban Taiwan's health experts from being in the room while WHO members discuss such topics as emerging diseases. And they put a Time magazine, Taiwan shut out of global health discussions. Its participation could have saved lives. Exactly. They're worried about politics over security. They're willing to shut down your life, 6 million people, 701,000 unemployed in the last week. They're willing to destroy your way of life, willing to lock you in your home. You can't even go paddleboarding in California without being arrested while the homeless defecate all over the streets. They're willing to shut down your business, close it up, all in the name of political gain. Now, going back to the Time Magazine article, 850,000 Taiwan's 23 million citizens reside in mainland China, 4,000 or 400,000 work there. At its narrowest point, the Taiwan Strait between the island and all of its mainland is just 130 kilometers. So by all accounts, Taiwan should be in the midst of a major coronavirus outbreak. Instead, as of March 18th, it had seen only 100 cases compared to more than 80,000 in China and the tens of thousands in several countries in Europe. This has not happened by chance. Learning from the experiences of SARS in 2003, Taiwan was already situated and ready to go for an outbreak in Wuhan when it had occurred. After the first notifications at the end of 2019, Taipei's uh, swiftly deployed a combination of measures to identify and contain the virus, including the use of big data to help contain potential cases. So Taiwan was ready. Of course, we played the uh, audio of that awkward interview back on March 28th of Bruce Iwald from the WHO being asked by the journalist in Taiwan Um, about this whole thing, and he couldn't even recognize the name. Remember this, too. China was in the midst of a crazed protest in Hong Kong right before this all happened. In fact, there are protests reemerging now that they've been allowed out of their homes in Taiwan. I mean, uh, in China, in Hong Kong. But you effectively wiped out the protest while you were on the brink of an economic collapse, and then you were able to somehow infect the top leaders of Iran, you were able to infect the United States. 
and the numbers that we're getting are suspect. But let's never mind that. We're still pushing communist propaganda here in the United States. There's articles that were out today that were saying New York has seen a decline in the number of new cases. New Jersey saw a drop from 71 new cases where it was 200 the day before. So something's going on on that end. But Andrew Cuomo is out there going, we finally got some good news today. The Chinese government helped facilitate a donation of a thousand ventilators that will arrive in JFK today. I think the Chinese government, Jack Ma, Joe Tsai, and Jack Ma Foundation, and the Tsai Foundation, and the Council General Huang. Seriously? You're thanking China? Because from the power grab standpoint, this is served up nicely. You've got crazy things happening. Look at what's happening in, uh, with Google. I mean, Google has said that they're able to track. Look at this. Google launching tool that will publicly track people's movements, allowing health officials to check whether their communities are abiding by social distancing measures. Oh, okay. They're making sure you comply while they're letting out the child rapist out of the jails in Pennsylvania. Judge orders use of ankle monitors for Kentucky residents refusing to quarantine after coronavirus exposure. So you're going to have your job destroyed. You're going to have your life destroyed. The food supply decimated. You're going to have people dumping milk because schools, universities, um, uh, restaurants aren't able to buy it. You're going to have your livelihood with your family uprooted because you're now going to be quarantined in a house, not knowing if you're going to get any sort of revenue to pay for your mortgage, pay for your bills. And what are they going to do? They're going to keep you in your home. They're going to put ankle bracelets on you and make sure that you're, you're abiding by their, their dictates and their, their edicts. And then they're going to track you with Google technology. Yeah, that's not Orwellian or anything. It's, it's unbelievable what's happened. And then what do we have? We have people like Gavin Newsom out there who are saying, well, you know, this is a chance for us to set up our progressive ideology, basically. The potential, as some others in your party do, for a new progressive era, if you want to call it that, in um, national politics and policy, and whether there's the opportunity for additionally progressive steps, um, such as the ones that I listed, on the national and state level uh, going forward, you know, because of this crisis. You know, we've had some uh, very deep uh, policy conversations in this space now for weeks. Uh, let us remind, despite the fact that California was running uh, historic uh, economic output in terms of our GDP growth, in terms of our net, uh, well, from job creation to low unemployment to record reserves, surpluses, uh, the wealth uh, distribution, the income inequality uh, was not something that was substantially improving. And that's the case across the rest of the world. As IT and globalization detonate at the same time, you're seeing that concentration in fewer and fewer hands, the middle class feeling squeezed. Increasingly, the trend lines were suggesting what is self-evident become a headline, and that is we were going from a three-class society to a two-class society. So something was fundamentally flawed 
in that global context manifested quite acutely here in the state of California, the richest and the poorest state with a number of the most impoverished metros in the country. And we've long been struggling to address those issues. So I see this quite uh, substantively through that lens, that equity lens, looking at those folks that never fully recovered. You look at medium wages for folks uh, coming out of 08, 09 in the Great Recession that haven't fully recovered, even today that are struggling. Uh, and so what is going to happen to those folks in this current crisis? Uh, and what's the opportunity to your question uh, for reimagining uh, a more progressive era as it relates to uh, capitalism? And I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm a small business owner. I'm a job creator. Well, my customers are the job creators. I'm a beneficiary of their support. Uh, and that helps build that demand that allows me to hire more people. And so as a former business owner, now governor, uh, I have had that experience and I have that appreciation of the importance uh, of consumer confidence, consumer spending, and a vibrant middle class. And so, yes, forgive me for being long-winded, uh, but absolutely we see this as an opportunity to reshape uh, the way we do business and how we govern. And you know who's been, who's been just bankrolling off of this? Your politicians have been lining their pockets with this crap. Senator Kelly Loeffler, she's a rhino from Georgia. You know, I, one thing that I noticed, I started noticing the trend, governors issuing stay in, stay in house or stay in place or shelter in place or stay at home orders. When I started seeing them initially come out, I started researching, who's the governor? Nine out of ten times, it was a Democrat. And then when I did see a Republican, it was like Larry Hogan. Come on, rhino from Maryland. Maryland's a, a blue state as it gets. And you're, if you're going to have a Republican lead a blue state, he ain't exactly going to be Ted Cruz. He ain't exactly going to be Rand Paul. He ain't going to be Thomas Massey. He's going to be to the left of Lindsey Graham. So as I was looking for this, uh, this, this uh, background on Georgia's uh, governor, I ran into some interesting stuff. I mean, it was in an article. I look up Brian Kemp and I see, I, I see that he wasn't working with Trump on the appointment of a senator in Georgia. And then the article from Politico says, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has begun informing Republican officials he plans to appoint financial services executive Kelly Loeffler to the state soon-to-be-vacant Senate seat, according to three people similar with the conversations. Now, remember, Kelly Loeffler, basically what she did, listen to this. Senator Kelly Loeffler has reported more stock sales amid insider allegation accusations. In fact, what she did was she, she sold her stocks, made $18 million off of the sale of stocks, and then turned around and bought COVID-19 hazmat suits, stocks in those companies. Right after she had the, the meeting, she was in the meeting, and they were saying, oh, crap, we got this thing coming. This could really affect the economy if we shut down. And what she do? Uh, go ahead and sell my stocks. Oh, and buy it, you know, put some money down on the COVID-19 hazmat suit companies. Yeah. Unbelievable. But see, yeah, it says Senator Kelly Loeffler um, reported insider allegation accusations among the spate of sales, though, was an interesting stock purchase in a company that makes COVID-19 protective garments. 
Well, when you look up more on her, she tried to say, well, you know, when I pulled the trigger on that, it wasn't me doing it. It was my advisors. They did it without my knowledge. And, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know I made out like a bandit. Um, listen to this. Loeffler's big city career in finance mostly was at the Atlanta-based owner of the New York Stock Exchange that propelled her to the Senate in one of the trickiest ethical dilemmas in recent congressional history. When she joined the Senate Agriculture Committee, Loeffler became an overseer of the overseers of the company that made her rich, the Inter- Intercontinental Exchange, or ICE. <laughs> Unbelievable. I think she probably has a good handle on how to sell stocks, how to plan ahead. Wouldn't you think that? So now the new narrative is going to be, let's vote by mail. Listen to Nancy Pelosi talk about voting by mail. Nothing can go wrong there. For him to say, we'll never win another election. Therefore, we are not going to support vote by mail is so undermining of what our founders had in mind about full participation. So in this next bill, we hope to get more resources uh, to uh, vote by mail. So you're going to vote by mail. Not that they can't fudge the numbers, not that they can't shred the, the mail. But look who else is for it. From Breitbart, George Soros groups pushing Democrat scheme for mail-in voting. Progressive organizations, many backed by billionaire activist George Soros, are at the front lines of a campaign advocating for a vote-by-mail system in the upcoming presidential election, citing fears that the Chinese coronavirus pandemic makes it too dangerous to vote in person. Wow, that's not wildly ironic and, and coincidental. It's unbelievable. We have to look at the fact that there are forces that are exploiting this situation Taiwan didn't shut down their government. Japan didn't shut down their government. South Korea didn't shut down their government. But we are. We're doing exactly like China did. And everybody's falling in line with it because you're going to be out there going, oh, you're part of the problem because you're not helping to flatten the curve. You know what curve I want flattened? The unemployment spike. I want that flattened. I don't care about whether or not you're virtue signaling because of the fact that you shut down the beaches. That's what they did here in Virginia. Some idiot put up pictures from 2017 of the beaches totally packed. Everybody got mad on social media. Next thing you know, Northam orders a decree to close the beaches. Well, what did the city of Virginia Beach do? They flew their drones as they normally do on a regular basis and filmed it and then congratulated the city for that same weekend that everybody was complaining about showing drone footage of everybody social distancing on the beach. Everybody, And they said, congratulations, Virginia Beach. You are social distancing. It's that kind of crap that we're dealing with. And people are willingly giving up the freedom to assemble, the freedom of religion, in turn, because we can't assemble. Everyone has been instructed that if they see worship services going, uh, services going on, uh, they will go uh, to the officials of that congregation. They'll inform them they need to stop the services and disperse. If that does not happen, they will take additional action up to the point of uh, fines and potentially uh, closing the building permanently. Bill de Blasio, Warren Wilhelm, the groundhog slayer, commie bear, because he's a giant communist. He wants to shut down churches that don't comply permanently. Amazing. But with all of this, we're still finding ways to worship, drive-in uh, services, uh, Zoom uh, Bible studies, what have you. They're 
knocking down freedom of uh, speech, obviously, uh, online. And now their new thing is impeachment. Another impeachment to electric boogaloo on the way. Because think about how they passed stimulus. Thomas Massey actually went out of his way to uphold the founding of this nation. And everybody dogged on him. Yeah, we were in a situation where we needed stimulus for the workers that the government forced out of work. But what did Thomas Massey do? They said, oh, he, he's calling everybody in to come vote. And he said it himself. No, what he was going to do was we could vote virtually. We could take a roll call. We could do 30 at a time and rotate in and out of the building. And then when he, when he explained why they didn't want that kind of vote, why they only wanted a vote in person, it was unbelievable. It's because what happens in these votes is they pull people aside and they go, hey, 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 come here. Come here. Let's make this deal here. Hey, 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 come over here. How about this? Oh, if you don't do this way. And they make all these deals. And Thomas Massey's like, you know, that's why you'll never see co- Congress meet via Skype or Zoom. You know why? Because they can't make these backdoor deals right there in the building. Everything is transparent. But Thomas Massey gets rolled for it. If anything, you should donate to Thomas Massey because he did y'all a solid in the name of freedom. But impeachment to Electric Boogaloo is coming. And what they're doing is they're looking to have hardly anyone there so that they can vote and push through impeachment over this coronavirus because they think Trump hasn't handled it the right way. And in the midst of all of this, guess what's happening? They're dropping the fact that the FISA court didn't even have verification of anything. Catherine Herridge put up FISA breaking fallout from IG Horowitz audit March 31st as surveillance quarter uh, court orders FBI to pro- provide names and docket numbers for 29 applications for which the FBI could not locate a Woods file and the 302s um, for which they could not say whether a Woods file ever existed. Of course, the 302s are basically the FBI interviews somebody, they write a summary report, that becomes what the FBI's evidence has. And that gets put in the Woods file. And guess what? Nothing. Can't even find it. That got dropped. What else gets dropped? Oh, John Durham. Remember, he's investigating all of this from an angle that nobody can stop. John Durham investigation intensifies on John Brennan. This is April 3rd from the Washington Examiner. U.S. Attorney John Durham's review of the Russia investigation is putting increased scrutiny on the former CIA director, John Brennan, searching for any undue influence he may have had during the 2017 intelligence community assessment of Russian interference. Durham, selected by Attorney General William Barr last year to lead this inquiry, drove to Washington, D.C. in March to ensure the investigation stayed on track during the coronavirus outbreak. He's keeping it going. He ain't going to let this thing shut down on that. The top Connecticut federal prosecutor is looking into highly sensitive issues, including whether Brennan took politicized actions to pressure the rest of the intelligence community to match his conclusions about Russian President Vladimir Putin's motivations, according to sources cited by The Wall Street Journal. Officials said Durham has been interviewing CIA officials this year, zeroing in on those at the National Intelligence Council, a center within the office of the director of national intelligence which oversaw the collaboration between the CIA, FBI, and National Security Agency in putting together the 2017 assessment and looking at how the work 
product was finalized. The 2017 assessment concluded with high confidence that Putin ordered an influential campaign in 2016 and Russia worked with uh, um, worked to undermine public faith in the U.S. So Durham's investigation is still going. So you have a crazed overreaction by governors who I think colluded together to close up shop right after the NBA decided to right after Harvard let all its students go the same Harvard that had Charles Lieber as a professor working with China. Everybody's got good things to say about China. Don't they Andrew Cuomo? So I think there's more than meets the eye to this all the FISA stuff's blowing up in their face. The Durham investigation reports coming out soon. It's all hinged on this. This is Adrian Slade. I'm Adrian Slade. I appreciate you tuning into the show. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeart Podcast, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast. Anywhere podcasts are hosted, you can get the uh, free Adrian Slade Show podcast. Be sure to rate it. Give it a five-star rating if you can. That helps bring it up in the ranks. You can also check out the blog, adriansladeshow.com. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Adrian Slade Show or at Rants Out Loud. You can also find me on other social media platforms, Facebook, Gab, Parler, also on Snippy and Convo. Search Adrian Slade. You can also donate to the show, patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show, or go to anchor.fm and donate. We'll see you guys next time.